Well, most, if not all people, have a built-in sense of fairness. And we know when someone has treated us unfairly, and this can motivate us, hopefully, in one of two ways. Uh, We can be moved when we see others treated unfairly and maybe do something about it, and we can resolve to try to treat others fairly. That's a version of the golden rule. Now, fairness is hard to define because each person is unique. There will be differences in how fairness is defined. And also, we live in a very diverse economy. So fairness should be defined for each part of our economy and in all of our relationships, to have fairness within those human relationships. Now, there are many laws and regulations addressed to fairness. I used to work in insurance, and the overriding theme was to never do any unfair discrimination. Uh, Try to unpack that. I also did some research in some other common areas. Um, One category of fairness is what they call fair use, which has to do with the copywriting of intellectual property. As, As a book lover, the implication of that is there is a limit as to how much of a book may be quoted in a book review. And as somebody who loves music, Our church has a CCLI license so that when we sing a song of a contemporary living songwriter, they get a fair royalty. Uh, Another kind of fairness is the Fair Labor Standards Act. In the various states have minimum wages that an employee should be paid. But even here, there's an issue. Should there be a federal that would override state? It's not an easy answer for that. And then there are fair housing laws, and these have been in the news since the 60s and have much to do with the civil rights movement, whereby certain zoning laws or other kind of measures, people are denied housing, which they should be entitled to. Now, uh, On top of all of this issue is how do you define it and how do you make a fair law once we have a fair law, if there's such a thing, how is it enforced? You can have the most wonderful law, and if it's not enforced consistently and fairly, that is also a problem. And and now I'm going to share something that I actually experienced my sophomore year of college in 1972-73. It's called the uh, Fair Trade Laws. And if I understand correctly on the internet, they were finally abolished in the last decade or so. But what these laws allowed was manufacturers to set a floor on the retail price of their products. And this was often an artificially high floor. And and I don't even understand all the ramifications of that. But my roommate, my sophomore year, 
who was on his way to becoming a millionaire by age 25 because he could sell. He wasn't much of an engineer, but he could sell. And he sold very high-end stereo equipment at an engineering school to people who were technophiles and also to some people in the town who lived near the campus. Now, his boss in Watertown, who works essentially out of a garage, was selling this expensive equipment 20% below fair trade. Now, I, I later learned that retail is almost always marked up 100% from wholesale. So operating out of a garage with salesmen, you know, on campuses and what, and not having to support an office, he was very content with a 60% markup, and he had a great profit. And my roommate selling things 20% below any other store in Worcester, we had a constant flow of people in and out of the room. And sometimes I was doing homework with 10 other people in a little room. But the way most people would look at it is here's a win-win. People get stereo equipment at an affordable price. Sounds fair, doesn't it? Only thing is it's illegal. And it was therefore unfair. So with all of these human vantage points on fairness, we now uh, have the stage set for today's parable about God's generous grace. God is both fair and gracious, both. He never goes against his word. So in that sense, what could be fairer? His word is what he does. However, however, he often goes far beyond what people would expect. Expect either based on his word and certainly what we would expect based on what we're willing to give each other. So since people tend to measure themselves against other people, overvalue themselves at the expense of others, we perceive grace as unfair, and most especially when other people receive it from God. Well, with this background, let's tackle this difficult topic of fairness and grace with Jesus' help. And, and that's what this parable we heard this morning is all about. And we can quickly summarize it. And again, it's about the kingdom of heaven. It's about living as subjects of God. And Jesus makes it very simple. It's like a housemaster and hired day laborers working in his vineyard. And, and it starts out that this housemaster, and that's the best translation of the word, he hires workers, laborers for the going rate at dawn. So now let's look at it verse by verse. For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man, a housemaster, who went out with the early morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. So this man is the owner of a large vineyard that requires many, many laborers. 
So he went out at sunrise. It can be interpreted the very break of the day when the sun is coming up and he goes out at about 6 a.m. to hire workers. In having agreed with these laborers for a denarius a day, and that's the Greek word, not penny, a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And as we heard last week um, with the you know person who had been forgiven such a great debt, that was the going rate for a day laborer. So what's happening here is this housemaster is transacting a fair agreement with these men in the labor pool that he hires. But then it goes on, and Jesus describes what happens over the course of a day. He hires unemployed laborers at three-hour intervals, agreeing to pay them what is right. And then this very final group, he commands them to also work, but in the very last hour. Again, let's go through it step by step as Jesus told it. Having gone out the third hour, he saw others standing in the marketplace unemployed. And and as I researched this word, that would be the best way to translate it in our society today going back to them. So at mid-morning, about 9 a.m., There were some day laborers who had not yet been hired. And he said to them, you must go also into the vineyard and whatever may be right, I will give to you. So he starts out commanding these men, you go. He needs more workers. Go work for me. But then he pledges to them to pay them what is right, meaning what is fair. You'll get a fair payment for your work. So they went on their way, but again, having gone out in the sixth and the ninth hour, he did likewise. So twice more, about noontime and about mid-afternoon, this housemaster needed more laborers to finish the work that he needed done in his vast vineyard. And then finally, in this uh, first part that builds us up for the climax, in the 11th hour, having gone out, he found others unemployed. And he's saying to them, Why have you been standing here all day unemployed? So I find this very interesting because I've heard a long time ago, the King James Bible has influenced English speech for 400 years. Think about this. We have this saying we make for something last minute, right? We say it was an 11th hour thing. Well, that's from this translation. This is what's happening at the last minute. And then he asked them a reasonable question. And actually, this is just probably my perverse way of thinking. They could have turned it back on him. And maybe I'm saying this from my privileged position. And they could have said, well, why didn't you ask us the other four times? We would have worked. Well, they tone it down a bit, okay? What do they actually say? 
They're saying because no one has hired us. It's kind of saying politely what I was thinking. And he is saying to them, you must also go in to the vineyard. And here's something that occurred to me this week as I was really studying this and and, and thinking about people I've known over the years. These last, they were desperate and needy. And I had to ask myself, how did it feel to stand in the marketplace all day, all day? It's five o'clock and they have not been chosen. They've not been chosen. The day's almost over. They are essentially desperate and without hope. But the house master's vineyard is so big, he needs still more laborers to finish this work. So he commands this fifth shift to go to his vineyard to complete the day's work. And now the sun is going down, and the second part is where it gets real interesting. At sunset, he, the owner, the housemaster, commands his foreman to give the laborers their wages. And they are paid from last to first, and they all get a day's wages. And those who were hired first were grumbling or murmuring against the housemaster. Again, let's look at it verse by verse. Having become late, the Lord of the vineyard is saying to his foreman, thou must call the laborers and must give them their wage, having begun from the last to the first. So it is now evening. The day is over, and he pays his workers per the Torah. I I thank God that D.A. Carson woke me up to this verse. If you know Leviticus, it says you must not hold the wages of a worker overnight. In other words, God had a rule. People living from day to day on the edge of poverty— When they finished the day's work, they needed to be paid so they could have something to eat before they went to sleep. Notice also, the last to go into the vineyard were the first to be paid. Now, when I worked in the corporate world, there was an expression for this, L-I-F-O, LIFO, or last in, first out. So the last that were in were the first to be paid. And those having come in the 11th hour, they received every man a denarius. So think about this. The the owner, the master, he was generous to these last hired men. He gave them the gift of grace grace. And the first having come, they expected they will receive more. And they likewise, every man a denarius. That's what they receive. Well, 
Think about it. We're, we're people, right? It's, it's, it's just a reasonable human expectation to receive a higher wage for working 12 hours as opposed to somebody who worked one. But even before Jesus continues, if we're paying attention and it's easy as a disinterested third party, they conveniently forgot the agreement they transacted with this owner at dawn. So having received the denarius, they were murmuring against the housemaster saying, these last worked one hour and equal to us, you have made them the ones having borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. So here's their perception. They see the owner right now as unfair in his labor practices. You can almost hear them say, we need a law. We need to be living in the 20th century. Okay. Now, why did those who had only worked one easy hour get the same as they got. These people had worked hard all day, even in the scorching noonday heat. And now the owner has the last word. Calling on a companion, he says he is fair. According to their agreed upon terms. And then he says it's proper. He says it is proper for him to be generously good with what is his already. He can do what he wants with what he has, essentially, he's saying. But he, having answered, said to one of them, companion, I am not being unjust to thee. Did thou not agree with me for a denarius? So you must take up thine and thou must go I am willing to give to this last as also to thee. So let's stop at this point. Notice this landowner, whether we agree with him or not, he is gracious in the way that he addresses this disgruntled day worker. Rather than friend, it's more like companion. It has the suffix Sin, S-Y-N, which means with. So he's bringing him right with him into the conversation as an equal. And he's saying, we agreed. So right now, just in case he forgot, he's explicitly reminding him they entered into a mutual agreement at the start of the day. This man got exactly what he agreed to. What more can he ask for? What more can he ask for? So he says, I'm willing, continuing, I'm willing to give the short-term 11th hour easier time of the day laborer his full wage. And he insists there's nothing wrong with us. And you know what? If we really think about this in light of the introduction and all that's been in this parable up to this point, let us rejoice with the owner's unfair generosity. 
You know, why should we get upset when somebody is generous? And then he concludes his statement to this worker. Or is thy eye being evil because I am decidedly being good? There's repetition in there. I just have chosen to be good. So it's a me-you situation in this parable. The owner of the vineyard who's called Lord at the end. He's got many names, sort of like God has many names. He calls out this day laborer for his evil reaction to the gracious dealing, the way he graciously dealt with this deflated worker, uh, graciously, ungraciously, okay? The owner was gracious. This guy's just freaking out, and he's forgetting this is a fellow day laborer, and this guy was deflated. I mean, again, we already tried to identify what's it like the day's almost over, and I haven't been hired, and what am I going to do for myself or my family or whatever? And so let's bring it forward to our own lives, okay? What are we going to learn from this? What do we want God to do in us? May we be moved, moved by the tragic deflation of value that is experienced by unemployed people. You know, there's so many unemployed people, and it's not their fault. We're coming out of two years of covid where states were shut down by governors and some 20% of people lost their jobs through no fault of their own. Can we have sympathy for them? Can we come alongside them? And then may we rejoice with them when they receive God's grace. So let's comfort them when they're struggling and be happy for the good that happens to them. But, you know, Jesus isn't really talking so much about that. He wants us to identify with a human experience, but he's really talking about the creator of the universe and us. Okay, what is true of this human landowner and possessor and boss of many people is more true of the creator, God, and us, his creatures. His grace is more unfair in human eyes than this housemaster was in Jesus' parable. Okay, so now let's get above the human level. Let us rejoice in the owner's unfair generosity. Do we deserve what we have? Are we getting what is fair? I can personally say I hope I never get what is fair from God. I'm more than happy to get all of his grace. And then Jesus concludes, in this way, the last will be first and the first last. So I think all of us struggle with grace to a greater or lesser extent. And a lot of times in counseling, I hear Christians, Christians that I don't doubt that they have faith in God, who just cannot get grace, and they're just troubled because they don't really understand grace for themselves or others. And let's get this through our heads. Grace is not fair. So may we receive wisdom about God's gracious love to accept this scandal of grace that is greater 
than what we consider to be fair. And now, most importantly, let us thank God for his grace that gives faith. And we also receive from him meaningful kingdom work when we are in Jesus. So again, the bottom line of this parable is let us rejoice in the owner, God who owns everything, his unfair generosity. And now David's Psalm, Psalm 16, puts an exclamation point on all this. And if we can truly thank God for his graciousness, not only to us, but also to other people, David says we have a secure inheritance in the covenant God, Yahweh. So let's look at the four verses we had read to us this morning. David begins with his pleasant inheritance. Yahweh is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You are holding my lot. Now this word portion is is an interesting word because to the Israelite, it's not grace in the way we would think of it. But here were people who were strangers, didn't own any land. Even Abraham never owned any land. But under Joshua, they all got a portion of the land that God had promised to the descendants of Abraham. Genesis 15, way back in the fall, we looked at that story. Now, an interesting thing, which I don't know that I've ever specifically mentioned in a sermon in 20 years, for the Levites, they got no land, no farmland whatsoever. They just served God either in cities or in Jerusalem. Yahweh himself was their inheritance. And that's the way we are as Christians. We have no promise of anything on this earth, but we have the promise of our relationship. And then David continues, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places, and moreover, my inheritance is beautiful. So David is saying what he has inherited from God is both pleasant and beautiful. And then the second half of what we heard read, Yahweh's instruction means he will not be moved. He will not be disrupted. He says, I will bless Yahweh who has given me counsel and also corrects my emotions in the night. One thing about Hebrew poetry is the way they use wild synonyms. There's some words used in Psalms that are nowhere else in the Bible. And sometimes in the course of one Psalm, there are three or four distinct words all with the same idea. And that's what he's saying here. So counsel, this word is used five times in Proverbs. And the one that I thought was absolutely the best, without consultation, Plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. So as God's people get together and bounce things off of each other, they can come to the best path for success. And then he says, I have kept Yahweh always before me. And because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. 
So here's a sense of stability, and this promise is for us as well. Whoever keeps near to the covenant God will not be moved away from him. Now, I just felt that I wanted to cover the rest of this psalm as well, even though it's not in the lectionary, because it's awesome. What's the result of this? And it goes right back to the parable. He will dwell securely as Yahweh makes known to him, known to him, the pathway of life. So he says, therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices also. My flesh will dwell in safety for because you will not leave my soul in the grave and neither will you give your holy one to corruption. So there's great joy in being kept by Yahweh while we are living all the days of our life on this earth. But even beyond that, he talks about a resurrected life. And now we know this so many thousand years after Jesus came. Because Jesus, the Holy One, was resurrected, all who are in him by faith have the same hope of resurrection after they die. So the way I look at it is knowing God is very good news while we're living and even better news when we die. And then he says, you will cause me to know the way of life because in your presence, in your presence is fullness of joy and in your right hand, pleasure forevermore. So when we receive God's instruction, which is another translation of Torah, he lets us know the way of life, leading to full joy and eternal pleasure. What more could we want? It all ties together. The covenant God makes known the way of life. Let's thank him for that gracious gift as well. So let's get to the bottom line of all we've heard from God this morning. Let us be diligent to do God's kingdom work, working in his vineyard. Whatever time we were called, let's be diligent, knowing that at a very minimum, at what is fair, we will be treated fairly and likely we will get more than we deserve. As David said, we can get security. We can have a pleasant inheritance and guidance in our life. What more could we ask for? So let's pull all of this together. God's kingdom's like the owner of a vast vineyard who hires many workers throughout the course of the day. The first who were hired early in the morning, they receive a full day's wage. And so do those who were hired last and only worked one hour. It's the same for everybody. Now, although the full day laborers receive full compensation, they resent those who did less work for the same Wage and they grumble against the owner. You know, may I never be guilty of this. I, I hope that we don't have that attitude. We should be happy and rejoice whenever anybody comes 
into the family, into the kingdom, whenever that may be. And uh, they need, and we have been reminded this morning, we need it too, that they were treated fairly, and so we should be grateful, and we should accept the owner's generous grace for others. Why? Because those who can be grateful for God's grace for themselves and others will have a sense of security in God and will be given knowledge of the right way to walk life's path. What more could we ask for than the knowledge of God? Let us rejoice in the owner's unfair generosity.